don't need any more human opinions. We need a divine revelation. And did you know, friend, that we have that? In the Gospel of John, we find seven I am statements that Jesus made. And God is revealing to us who this man, Jesus, really is. We're looking at those seven I am statements over the course of the next few weeks. But this morning, John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. C.S. Lewis, who's the author of the uh, Narnia Chronicles, said, whoever made claims as preposterous as Jesus made has to be either a liar or a lunatic, unless they're true, unless he proved it, and if he did, then he's the Lord. Jesus was pronounced dead by professional executioners. He was embalmed and then sealed in a tomb, guarded by Roman soldiers. But on the third day, he rose from the dead. And friend, more than 500 people saw him alive after they'd seen him die on a cross. And so many of those eyewitnesses, they died as martyrs rather than recant their testimony, what they knew to be true, that Jesus had risen from the dead. Friend, Jesus has literally and eternally risen. He's alive. And friend, the new good news is he wants that for you too. He wants you to experience that kind of life too. Why? Because so many people are alive physically, but dead spiritually, dead emotionally, dead to the life of God. Now, John chapter 11, we're going to look at that today. John chapter 11 tells us, highlights three people who were like that. And in John chapter 11, verse 1, we read this. A man, Lazarus, was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And this is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Well, her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend Lazarus is sick. We're going to talk this morning about some things that can make us die inside. Oh yeah, we're alive physically, heart beating, but dying inside. And the first one that we just read about is death. You see, although millions of people are celebrating today, big day of celebration around the world, there are also millions of people who are heartbroken and hurting today. Why? Because they're going through what Martha and Mary were doing. Because someone they love is very sick. Or they've died. And God in his word tells us that we should grieve when someone we love dies. It's a tragedy. But God goes on to say, but don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because God raised Jesus from the dead. And friend... That's the proof that he's going to raise you too. The death of loved ones, I mean, yeah, they can make us die inside. And it's not just a physical death. I mean, so can the death of our dreams, the, the, the dream of getting married, <laughs> but not living happily ever after. The, the dream of loving, obedient children who end up rebellious or rejecting you. 
the dream of a, of a great job that you love, that supports your family, and then you lose it. See, all kinds of things can make us die. Now, I want to just give you a summary of what happened in verses 5 through 14 of John chapter 11. Jesus heard that Lazarus had died. He got the, or excuse me, that he was very sick, and he got that news. And, you know, everybody, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, everybody expected Jesus to go immediately and heal Lazarus. I mean, he'd done that to hundreds of other people. But what did Jesus do? Nothing. For two days, he did nothing except hang out with the people he already were with. And so Mary and Martha, they're freaking out, and Jesus is hanging out, and they're saying, what's up with this? And then finally, two days later, Jesus said to his disciples, okay, it's just time now. Let's go back to Judea. And the disciples said, Jesus, are you crazy? The last time we were in in Judea, they tried to kill you, and you want to go back there? Listen, they didn't do it the first time, but if we go back, they're going to do it now. And when Jesus insisted that they go back to Judea, verse 16 tells us that Thomas, who is nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Okay, guys, let's go and die with Jesus. Thomas was telling the Son of God, I seriously doubt your plan's going to work out very well. And that's something that every one of us have probably done. God, I, I don't think your plan's going to work. What can make us die inside? That's the second thing is doubt. And this isn't the only time that Thomas is doubting Jesus put him in grave danger. In uh, John chapter 20, uh, after the resurrection, in fact, on the day of the resurrection, in the afternoon, Jesus appeared to his disciples just hours after he was raised from the dead to prove to them that he was alive. Well, Thomas wasn't there. He, he, he doubted so much that he didn't even go to be with the other disciples. He says, it's all over. I told him it wouldn't work. He missed church one Sunday, and he missed the greatest church service there ever was. When Jesus just walked right through the walls and just came, and he stood before them and said, okay, go ahead and touch me. See that I'm real. See that I'm alive. Just like I said. Well, what happened afterwards, man, I mean, his fellow disciples, they ran to tell Thomas. They said, Jesus is risen. And what did Thomas say in John chapter 20? He said, unless I see the nail print in his hands and the wound in his side, with my own eyes, I won't believe. Unless I touch him and see, I won't believe. Not I can't believe, I, I won't. Do you know, friend, that so often our doubts aren't intellectual They're emotional, they're volitional, they're our will. Now, do you have doubts? Uh, You know what, I'm going to tell you, that's okay. I mean, Thomas had doubts. Did Jesus give up on him? Did Jesus condemn him? No. You have doubts, that's okay. Jesus is going to pursue you. And I want to say something else. You know, it's in one sense, it's a very good thing to have doubts. 
It's a very good thing to want proof that something so important is really true before you believe it. And the problem is that Thomas had been given proof, a lot of proof. Jesus had told the disciples several times, I'm going to prove to you that I'm the Son of God. I will be killed on the third day, but on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty convincing proof. I've urged a lot of people to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's the Savior of the world, but I've never been able to give them proof like that. But Jesus did, and Thomas saw it. Thomas refused to believe the proof that Jesus gave him, friend. (laughs) You don't want to stand before God one day and tell God he didn't give you enough proof. He gave his son. God's given us proof. God raised Jesus from the dead as the proof. I have a neighbor named Douglas. I love to talk to him. He's a a very intelligent person. Uh, He's an architect. He's uh, traveled the world. He's built buildings in uh, many places. And uh, he wasn't long into many conversations when he said, well, you know, I was raised in a, in a Christian home, he said, but uh, I don't believe in God. I said, why? I'm thinking, now wait a minute. If anybody could look around, could study the universe, could know what he knows about creation of this universe, if anybody, if any architect could say, That doesn't demand the design of an intelligent creator, of intelligent designer. It's an architect. I said, why? And that was the reason. He said, because I was a boy in London when Hitler dropped his bombs. And God didn't stop him. And you see, the real reason was... He was blaming God for the evil of man to whom God gave free will. Friend, blaming God for the evil that we humans do is absurd. God loved us so much, he let his own son die as a sacrifice for us. Doubting God's son is the most disastrous decision we can make. Refusing to accept God's Son as our Savior and Lord is a rejection of God's gracious offer of life forever with Him in the kingdom of His Son. Do you have doubts? It's okay. Thomas doubted, but Jesus didn't give up on him. But please, friend, if you have doubts, I beg of you to do one thing. Please Don't put more credence in what your professor or what your friend says who wasn't there. Put more credence in what Jesus, the Son of God, said and what those witnesses who saw him alive and gave their lives for that. That's the proof. Doubt. It'll make us dead inside. Third thing, maybe you're not like Thomas, maybe you're more like Mary. 
what made Mary die inside discouragement. Mary, that's the other sister. She was very discouraged. We see this in verse 20 when, when Martha, okay, when her first sister, the older sister, heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet Jesus. But what did Mary do? Notice that Mary and Martha didn't go. Martha went. What did Mary do? She stayed home. She thought, why bother? Lazarus is dead. Jesus can't do anything now. He could have healed him when he was alive, but he can't do anything now. Is that true? Absolutely not. And maybe you're discouraged today like Mary. You're thinking, you know, I feel so alone, or I feel like I'm stuck in this dead-end job forever, or I'm, I've got this horrible marriage. And, and maybe you're discouraged. And you may have decided you're not going to show it today because it's Easter and you put your good clothes on and you came to church and you sang the songs. But if you're really, really discouraged, friend, I just, I just commend you so much. You came anyway even though you don't feel like it. And I want to tell you that God has a promise for you if you're discouraged. If you don't think things are working out, God gave a promise in Romans 8 or 12, 28, or 8, 28, excuse me, God promised to turn all things together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Yes, you have things to be discouraged about in this life, but this is not the final chapter. And God has promised to turn everything around for good. And so you might be discouraged feeling no one cares, friend. The Son of God cares for you. He loves you so much he died in your place. He rose from the dead. He's coming back for his own. That leads us to the fourth thing that can make us die inside, and those are delays. You see, in verse 17, when Jesus showed up, verse 17 says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for how long? Four days. Now, that's very interesting. Because in Martha's day, people believed that when someone died, that their spirit actually stuck around for three more days after they died. Maybe they would revive something. I don't know. Now, God never said that. That's not in the Bible. That's not a, uh, a teaching of, of God. But many people believe that. So in Martha's mind, maybe, Lazarus now, you know, day two, okay, maybe there's still a little bit of hope. This is day four. Now Lazarus isn't mostly dead. He's dead dead. He's decomposing. I love the King James. It says, she says, he stinketh now. I mean, four days, he stinketh. And so in verse 11, she says, Martha says to Jesus, she says, Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Which being interpreted is, Jesus, you took too long. You could have stopped this. Why did you delay? And friend, we ask the same question. God, why haven't you answered my prayer? God, why the delay? This is a good thing. God, why haven't you done it? Many people are asking God to heal someone. And we know that God, the Bible tells us God's going to heal us in heaven, but we can't understand why he hasn't healed us yet. And Jesus explained to Martha why 
he delayed. Why he didn't come and heal her brother right away. He said to Martha, he said, I want to do something the whole world, not just you, Martha, that I love, but the whole world. I'm going to do something the whole world needs to understand about me and about their resurrection. And he said to Martha in verse 23, he said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, this is so interesting, Martha said, well, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection in the last days. Martha, she knew that one day everybody in the world was going to be resurrected, according to God. But Jesus wanted her to know that he's the resurrection and the life for here on earth and hereafter in heaven. Both, not just one. And that's why Jesus said in verse 25, Martha, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though he dies. And then to prove that statement, to prove that audacious claim that he's the resurrection and the life, what did he do? He cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And this dead man walked out of the tomb. And friend, the same Jesus who who 2,000 years ago called Lazarus to come out of his tomb is calling you to come out of yours. That, that grave, whatever puts you in doubt and defeat and discouragement, Jesus raised Lazarus because Jesus wants you to know that he'll raise all bodies one day when he returns. But Jesus wants us to know this. He wants to raise you, your spirit today, from your tomb of discouragement, delay, and whatever else may make you feel dead inside. Jesus is the resurrection for you today, my friend, for this life and the life to come. I'm going to ask my friend Chip, my brother Chip, if he'd come. He's going to share a little bit of his story. Uh, And it's amazing. And I think you're just going to be so blessed by this because what we're talking about today is the reality in Chip's life. Today's Easter. Jesus is risen. He's alive. And he's alive in me. Can you say that with confidence today? I can But there was a time when I couldn't say that. When I grew up, I grew up in a biker home. A home where my father rode with one of the most violent, deadly bike clubs in the Midwest. Jesus wasn't something we talked about on a daily basis. As a matter of fact, if anybody tried to talk to us about Jesus, we probably, um, well, we normally would attack them with either violence or words or hatred, and we'd bury them. We usually talked about doing something illegal, something that would give us an adrenaline rush. That was just my lifestyle. It wasn't something that I looked at and said, you know, this is what I want to become. This is who we were. People think of bikers, and I, I hear this a lot, of people that are living free. They're living life to the fullest. They have no boundaries. The reality is, People in the biker world, and most of the people around that I see that aren't Christians, you're dead. I was dead. I lived dead. 
The only time I felt like I was living was when we were living on the edge. We needed something that brought us so close to death that we felt light. As I became a young man, as I grew up, living on my own, it got to the point where living on the edge didn't do it anymore. I was living so close to the edge that many times I just wanted to jump over the edge. One day, I got to that point, and the edge was my leaping point. And right then, Jesus put somebody in my life to tell me about him. Now, I know a lot of times when people come and they want to talk to you about Jesus, they got this nice, soft, gentle way. It wasn't like that. This was somebody that I despised and somebody that despised me. And they didn't say, oh, you need Jesus because he loves you. They said, you're a jerk and you need Jesus. I'm like, yeah, well, you're a jerk too, you know? So, well, when I got to that point where I actually leaped over the edge and that didn't work so well, I went back to this person and I said, maybe there's something to your Jesus. I went as far as I can. Let's try something different. She, she got me into church. I started going. And one day, after a few months of being in the church, somebody spoke and it was like Jesus was calling out to me, this dead guy, saying, come on down. Come out of that tomb. It's time. And I remember after church, it just really beat in my brain that I needed to do something different than what I was doing. So I dwelt on it for a while. Went back to the church early because I wanted to talk to somebody more about this Jesus because he kept calling my name. Nobody was there, so here I am stuck in my car in the church parking lot all by myself. And I was thinking, I'm like, you know, I don't know how to do this, but Jesus, I'm done. I need you. Can you just come in, take my life? Forgive me for all this crap that I've been doing. Live in me. And I want to tell you, sitting there in that car as a young man, it was like a blanket just came over the top of me. And for the first time, I could breathe. I didn't realize that I couldn't breathe up until that moment because now I'm alive. And I'm not alive because I'm a good guy. As a matter of fact, when I left there, I still was screwing up pretty bad. But I was alive because Jesus died on the cross, rose again, and now he's living inside me. Well, I can tell you, I was so excited about this that I couldn't contain myself. So I decided, hey, if I'm that dead, the rest of my family's dead too. It's time to tell them about Jesus. So I went and I started telling everybody in my family about what Jesus did for me, this new life, and they really needed him. Well, I was received with the same hostility that we used to tell, that we used to give everybody about Jesus. As a matter of fact, it, the violent response that I received from my father was so bad that once I was able to escape from him, my dad became dead to me in that moment. I had no reason to ever go back and see that man. Jesus worked on my life for a number of years after that. And then one afternoon, I got a call from my uncle in Chicago. 
he called, we had a little bit of small talk, and he said, hey, have you heard what's going on with your father? And I said, I haven't heard anything about my dad in years. He says, well, your dad was arrested some time ago. His trial's done, and he's going to prison, and he's going to be there for a while. You need to reach out and see your dad. I kindly let my uncle know that there was no way I was going to see my dad again. I had no reason to. We were finished. He says, Chip, you don't understand. He goes, your dad has went through his entire trial. Nobody from none of my brothers and sisters, none of my aunts and uncles, nobody has been with my dad this whole time. He's been alone in jail. Everybody turned their back on him during this period. He says, you don't understand. He needs you right now. And I said, you know, there's a little bit more to this story than you're telling me because why would nobody go and at least visit him? And so he sat there and he gave me the list of charges that my dad was convicted of at this point. Now, it didn't surprise me that he was going to prison. I was surprised that he was out as long as he was. But once I started hearing these charges and hearing these convictions, something inside of me became angry. And it just built and built to the point where I finally had to get off the phone with my uncle and said, I'm sorry, there's no way I'll ever talk to this man again. When I hung up the phone, I sat in my apartment. It was dark. I didn't care to even turn on a light. The darkness was comforting at that moment. And I started thinking about my dad and all the things he's done to me in the past, all the things he's done to other people in the past. And my anger become rage. And my rage got to the point where the only thing I wanted to do was pick up the phone book, find a phone number to, some, to a company or blood bank that would transfuse the blood in my veins so that this man's blood could never be identified with me. And when I got to that point, felt the holy, I, actually when I got to that point, I cried out and I said, God, how much pain do I have to continue to endure from this man? I was in that much pain with this. And in my rage, a soft voice, voice in my head, the Holy Spirit said, just a little more. And I just broke right then. I actually got a little angry with God. What do you mean a little more? I've endured enough of this. I don't need a little more. And the Lord brought me back to that day when I was sitting in my car when I wasn't a good guy. I didn't deserve Jesus. A lot of people around would say that I was a pretty bad guy. But he saved me. And that's when I got Easter. That's when I got it. That's when the Lord said, I walked on this earth. I lived to be an example for you. I was beaten. I was hung on the cross. I died. I conquered death and rose again for you. For you, for people in each one of these rows. He rose for us. And you know what? He rose 
for my dad, somebody that bad, he, he died and rose again for that. Not for just the good people, not the people that look perfect, but for the people that we, don't, that we think don't deserve it. Now, I know that there's people here today that you think you're too bad. You've done too much. You don't deserve it. Jesus died for you. That today is your opportunity. This is where you come and find life. As Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb, he's calling you. This is your day. There's people here today in this room that I know that went through what I went through, that have people in their lives that have been so bad, so evil, that have created so much pain in you that you say they don't deserve it. But Jesus died for them. Today's your day. This is a day to let go. Let God take control of the situation. Free yourself from that pain and that, that death and start living again. Live the life that Jesus wants you to live. See, friend, um, Easter is all about the resurrection of Jesus, and that's a wonderful thing. But unless Jesus is alive in you, it has no benefit for you. Jesus is alive, but he's alive because he wants to be alive in you. And I want to give you four reasons that Chip talked about opening up his heart and inviting Jesus in. I want to give you four reasons why you need to do that too. And the first one is the resurrection makes it possible for Jesus to come alive in you now and forever. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20, Jesus is talking and he says, I am standing at the door of your heart. I am knocking. I will not force my way in. But if you open up that door and come in, I will feast with you. I will live with you. We will fellowship together. And you will be at that feast in heaven. It's often called a feast. A time of celebration and love with God and each other. The resurrection makes that possible. Friend, make sure that Jesus comes alive in you. The second thing, the second reason is if you embrace this Jesus, you will live in heaven forever. Now that's not, I didn't make that up. That's not my promise. That's what God's word says to us. You will live in heaven forever. Your sins can be forgiven. Not because you're a pretty good person, but because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for all your sins. The resurrection makes it possible for you to be reunited with loved ones forever. Friend, think. Do you want to be with the people that you love forever in heaven? You can be, God's word tells us. If you accept Christ as your Savior, and if you plead with others that they do the same, we can live forever with him. And fourth, the resurrection makes it possible for you to be with the one who loves you the most forever. There's nobody that will ever love you more than the Son of God. He proved it when he laid down on that cross. God proved it when he pulled him out of that grave to live forevermore. Friend, invite the resurrection and the life 
into your life. Would you pray with me? Oh, God, what your word tells us is absolutely the best and greatest news there could possibly be. But dear Lord, unless we personally embrace it, experience it, unless we go to that door of our heart in which Christ is knocking and invite him in as our Savior and Lord, it has no value. And so, Father, I pray that for every one of us here today, we Jesus is alive, but my prayer that he would come alive in each one of us. Now, friend, while your head's bowed and your eyes are closed, you ever invited Christ in? You ever admitted you're a sinner who does not, you're not good enough to go to heaven? Heaven's a perfect place. You ever invited Christ into your life? Are you following him as your Savior, as your Lord? He's the only one that can lead you to heaven. And he wants to. If you've never done that, that's why God brought you here today. And if you want to make that decision, if you want to make sure, absolutely sure, that you're going to go to heaven and be with him forever. You pray a prayer like this, dear Father, I know I'm a sinner. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. And today I accept the gift that you're offering me, the gift of eternal life that Jesus paid for with his own blood. And I want him as my Savior, and I want him as my Lord. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, be alive in me. In Jesus' name, amen.